Welcome to the sixth episode of Washington State Running Legends. I'm your host, John Lichtenauer. I'm very excited to speak to our guest today, Lisa Larson Rainsberger, formerly known as Lisa Larson Weidenbach. From the early 80s to the mid 90s, Lisa was one of the top three roadrunners in the US and is one of America's greatest marathoners. Her accomplishments are many, but to list a few, she was a three-sport All-American at the University of Michigan. She won the Boston Marathon in 1985. She won the Chicago Marathon in 1988 and 1989. She held multiple American records. She won many races in Japan, including the Hokkaido Marathon. But to quote her website, she is better known for what she has not done than what she has accomplished. In 1980, she qualified for the Olympic trials in swimming, but because of the boycott couldn't go. In 1984, 1988, and 1992, she finished fourth in the Marathon Olympic Trials. And for those who don't know, only the top three in the trials go on to the Olympic Games. In the year 2000, she switched to the triathlon and also finished fourth in the U.S. Championships. So welcome to the podcast, Lisa. Thank you. Yeah. Where are you at right now? What city? I'm in Tacoma, Tacoma, Washington. Oh, Great. Yeah. Oh, awesome. I Clear one thing up. Some people might not know that you've lived in Washington State for a while. At least. And actually, I don't know how long. How long were you there? Ten years? Ten years. And where did yes. you live? Um, I started out in Issaquah. Hang mm-hmm. on, I'm putting my... Yeah, my Wi-Fi is on. I started out in Issaquah and then moved to Gig Harbor. Oh, really? And so did, you know, half my training in uh, Issaquah and then I moved to Gig Harbor and you know, spent some time there. And, you know, I just loved the, the terrain and being back then those were remote locations. Right. Right. Um, you know, when I go visit Issaquah now, it's just one big metropolis. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's amazing. I grew up in Maple Valley actually, which is right next to Issaquah. Uh, yeah. So did you yeah. run in like Tiger Mountain or that area or did you? Tiger Mountain, you know, a lot around Lake Sammamish, mm-hmm. um, did a lot of tra- around Lake Sammamish mm-hmm. so I mean I have some funny stories about getting out there on my moped which I won in a race uh-huh. and measuring out mile markers I take a little can of spray paint uh-huh. and like put like little markers so I because this is long before you know GPS units and mm-hmm. you know garments and you know satellite things when we look at your your career basically I mean you have amazing accomplishments but and you you talked about it basically there's things that you're well known for things you didn't do. Right. So when you, when you look back at your career, how do you feel about that? Is that something you feel okay with or. Um, you know, I go, I go through years of not even thinking about it and, you know, just being really confident and comfortable with my own accomplishments. And then something like the new two shoe technology comes along mm-hmm. And all these American records and world records and record this, record this, and every distance is being not just broken, but smashed. And for me, what it does is it like diminishes, diminishes what I accomplished and what I worked so hard for. And, you know, it's like technology has kind of just kind of dampened that for me because, Mm -hmm. you know, for so long, you know, standards like you know Joan Samuelson ran and what I ran and what you know accomplished you know runners did back in you know the 70s 80s and 90s 
now they're just inconsequential because, you know, anybody, it seems like they can put on a, you know, a technologically advanced pair of shoes and go out and break the world record. Right. So to me, that just, I think we should have pre-shoe records and post-shoe <laughs> records, you right. know? Right, right, right. Yeah, so, but that that's the only time it kind of comes back to me and going, well, I didn't quite get there, but, you know, um, man, if I had those shoes, I might have. <laughs> <laughs> right, right. No, I totally agree. I think those shoes, I mean, running is just, is a statistic sport. I mean, numbers are important, right? right? And if those numbers mean nothing, what's it all mean, right? Right. I love head-to-head competition. Mm-hmm. And I think that's why the, the Olympics are so fascinating. Mm-hmm. And, you know, when you have, you know, championships on the line, like NCAAs or, you know, the Olympic trials or nationals and the Olympics, it really boils down to who who the athlete is that day, the best athlete. And, and so you want to be the best as you can be that day. But, you know, um, that's what sport is for me. It's that head-to-head competition and that, um, you know, working and striving for something. And, and so that, that's what I still hold on to and still love. Right. Right. Okay. Thanks. Um, so I'd like to talk about your life and your career from the beginning, basically. Could you tell about where you grew up and how you started, you started swimming originally. You were originally, I did. yeah. Could you talk about how much time do we have? <laughs> I've got time. I don't know, but I, I, all day, but whatever your schedule is. Yeah, no, no. I just, you know, I, I don't want to bore your listeners. No, you, you won't. Um, okay. Well, I grew up, um, my father was an immigrant. First, I'm a first generation, you know, U.S. citizen. And we grew up in a small town in, in Battle Creek, Michigan. Mm-hmm. And my mom stayed home. And I mean, so really sports was my avenue. Mm. academically and so my mother had three small children all like boom 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 we were like Irish triplets Mm. and so she put us in swimming so that she could go to the laundromat she'd drop (laughs) us off the pool and she'd go to the laundromat to do our laundry Mm. and then come pick us up so it was her one hour hour and a half two hours of the day where she was without these you know crazy girls Mm. and and so I loved it I fell in love with swimming and so I swam competitively from the age of five Mm. all the way through the sophomore year in college, which was when we boycotted the Olympics. I had qualified for the Olympic trials as a swimmer. Mm. And um, was I was at the University of Michigan, full ride scholarship. There's no way I could have ever gone to college if it weren't for sports. Mm. Right. And, you know, it's beginning stages of Title IX. Mm. I got scholarship. I'm on mm. this amazing, you know, I'm in this amazing university. and And then we boycott. So I went away for the summer because I didn't want to read about everyone else getting to go to the Olympics. I didn't want to pick up the newspaper and be reminded that we're not there. Mm -hmm. And um, so Michigan has a biology camp in um, Hoback Junction, just outside of Jackson, Wyoming. And so I'm like, I'm out of here. So I packed my bags, went out, took an eight credit course, eight weeks in the mountains. And, you know, after a few weeks, I started to gain weight and I just felt awful. So I'd go out early in the morning for a run mm-hmm. and um, just fell in love with running. And mm-hmm. when I came back to start my sophomore year at Michigan, I started swimming, but my roommate was also on the cross country team. Mm-hmm. And she convinced me, convinced right. me through love <laughs> <laughs> to uh, walk on the cross country team. So mm-hmm. I went down to financial aid, got a student loan, a Pell grant and a work study job, turned in my full ride scholarship and funded self-funded um, so that I could walk on the cross country team. And then I told my parents, 
Right. And my dad cried. Oh my gosh. Here's this guy from, from Denmark, you know, six foot four, big guy, you know, and not full of words. And he cried because he goes, the gun goes off. You go into the woods and 20 minutes later, you come back. (laughs) And I'm like, yeah, dad, that's cross country. (laughs) And so when track season started, he, he fell in love with that because he could sit in the stadium and watch me compete the entire distance. Can I interrupt you for a second? So why did you have to give up your scholarship to run cross country or track? Because my scholarship was for swimming. So you couldn't do both. They wouldn't let you do both. No, no. They're same season, same season. Oh, really? Okay. I was wondering about that. Okay. Yeah. So, um, you know, I worked my butt off for that year to self-fund and, you know, I paid off my student loans from that year and, you know, mm-hmm. felt really good about the efforts that I put into that. And then I had um, three more years of eligibility for track and field and cross country mm-hmm. at Michigan. So, mm-hmm. um, yeah, that's so- kind of where it all started, my running career and um, my senior year at Michigan, I qualified for the Olympic trials and the marathon. So if you go back and look at historically, we weren't allowed to run anything other than the 1500 meters. Mm-hmm. Right. And then, then they added, you know, like an exhibition event for the 10 K and they added an exhibition for the three kilometers and the marathon. Mm. So, you know, I'm like, I'm not fast enough for the 3K, although I did qualify for the Olympic trials in the 3K. I thought my best bet to make the team would be the marathon. And mm-hmm. so I'm 22 years old. I run my first marathon at Grandma's in, in uh, Duluth, Minnesota, and I qualified for the trials. So, and, sorry. Um, so you walked on to Michigan, and the coach there was Ron Warhurst, Ron Warhurst right? Yes. Well, he was the men's coach. Okay. And um, the women's coach was Ken Simmons, okay. Red, Sim- Red Simmons, mm-hmm. and he was a maverick. He competed in the 1936 Olympics, uh-huh. you know, when they were in Berlin, and, and um, he was an amazing athlete himself mm-hmm. and just loved the sport, and he was, but he was 72 years old when he coached me that first year in running, and then he retired, and then we got a new coach, and, um, you know, in all transparency, we did not get along. Mm-hmm. the new coach and I, um, you know, she had fundamental differences in terms of like weighing us in every, every, you know, Monday, Wednesday, Friday, and, you know, just stuff like that. And I wasn't enjoying it. And I, over the summer, I qualified to run the marathon Olympic trials. And she said, I couldn't. And I'm like, excuse me, this is the inaugural women's marathon. I qualified and I, you're not going to let me run it. Yes. Because it was like, the, the week before big tens. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, well, that's not a hard decision to make. Cause I've already turned in a scholarship once. So I turned in my full scholarship again. Wow. wow. <laughs> Very brave. So I could run the inaugural women's Olympic marathon and I have no regrets, no mm-hmm. looking back. It was an amazing experience. I felt like, you know, here we're, we're making history, you know, as women, we're finally able to run the marathon in the Olympics without, you know, our body parts falling out. So, um, it was, it was beautiful. And, you know, the sisterhood that I established with those women who, who ran the first trials, um, is very special. And, and so then after that race, I signed a contract. Sorry, and- to back you up. So, <laughs> so you're Thank you so much. So my question is, how did you go from walk on, you're walking onto the team to obviously a very high level, very, very quickly, right? I mean, you went from 
it seemed a very limited experience in running to all of a sudden running at this high level. How did that happen? Well, you know, I think swimmers have an amazing engine. Mm-hmm. And if you think back about how I grew up, mm-hmm. um, I ran everywhere. Mm-hmm. I mean, I didn't have, I, I mean, I had a bicycle. You know, kids back then, they were out playing in the yard. They were on the playground. They were playing. We weren't, you know, holed up in our house playing Xbox. I was a rug rat. I literally was a kid who was out. As soon as the sun was up, I ate my breakfast and I'm out the door. Mm -hmm. And so we played a lot. And so I just felt that because of swimming and being just a very active um, person, I developed, you know, fitness. Mm -hmm. And um, I mean, there weren't soccer for for girls back then. There was girls basketball and softball mm-hmm. and so those were the sports that we were allowed to compete in when I was growing up and but I did walk on I first I'll back up a little bit since we have time, time. it's a funny it's a funny story yeah, um I was swimming so complete 100% all-in swimmer my senior year in high school mm-hmm. and I had just gone to senior nationals they were they finished early April And I went to um, the track coach at my high school and said, it's my senior year. I've only swam. I'd really like another letter, a varsity letter. Mm. And and the coach is kind of looking at me. He goes, do you realize the season started like six weeks ago? (laughs) I go, I do, but I was busy. I was busy. (laughs) And and so in his effort to like blow me off, (laughs) he says, okay, I want you to run two miles Mm. on the track. Mm. And then I'll let you know. Hmm. So unbeknownst to me, I start my two miles. I go around the two miles. I come back and he goes, I asked him, I said, well, what do you think? He goes, well, <laughs> since you just broke the school record, I think you'll do. So, <laughs> there were three meets left. Mm-hmm. Three meets. That's funny. A dual meet, regionals where you qualify for, st- qualify for state, mm-hmm. and then the state meet. So I ran three times in high school. Wow. And I got my letter. Okay. And um, my coach from that, my the high school coach, he and I still stay in touch. Mm-hmm. And the young lady at the time who I ran against at regionals, she beat me by just like a fraction of a second. Mm-hmm. I am now coaching her granddaughter. <laughs> and the high school coach that I had in high school, he moved to Reno, Nevada, and is coaching there. And he sends one of his athletes to one of my summer camps. Mm-hmm. And well, now that, that athlete is one of my full-time coaches in my company. All so right. it's just a small securitist, you know, security mm-hmm. word um, of life of, you know, how runners keep coming back into my life and how grateful mm-hmm. I am that I've had those experiences. So that's, you know, that's another funny story, but um, mm-hmm. I think I was just a very fit person right. and I played a lot. I mean, we, my sisters and I, and so for the transition to answer your original question of how did I go from swimming to running so mm-hmm. quickly, um, I think it was just because of everything I did in life. And I did have swim coaches where we would do what's called dry land. Mm-hmm. Um, and one of the, the things that we did in dry land was called the shit run. <laughs> super, super heavy indoctrination training. Mm-hmm. And that's what he called it. And <laughs> that coach is still a very good friend of mine. And he's, you know, mm-hmm. you know, on an age, but I mean, I had awesome coaches. Mm-hmm. I really had wonderful people right. who guided me mm-hmm. and, you know, they all knew that, you know, the funding and the resources that 
weren't available for me as, as a child. They made sure that I was never kept off the team because of financial um, mm-hmm. restrictions. So I'm grateful for that. And so in my own company, which I own and operate a, a youth um, running program, I scholarship athletes who, who, are, who are in that situation. So, you know, I never want a child not to be able to run because they can't afford it. Right, right. Could you talk a little specifically about your college running career? Like how, how the seasons go, what kind of times were you running, that kind of thing? Yeah, it's a long time ago. <laughs> <I'm> sorry. <laughs> you, can, um, you know, we, obviously we start out with cross country and, you know, um, you know, being in the, in the Big Ten, we... We, we traveled a lot to some really good teams, Wisconsin and, you know, all those teams. But um, we went right from cross country, um, had a small break, and then to indoor track and field. And, you know, indoor wasn't as robust as it is now. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I, we, we, we had indoor track meets, but we didn't have like the NCAA national championships like we do now. Mm-hmm. Um, and, but we, you know, they were there. It was just abbreviated Mm -hmm. and then outdoor season. And so it was, it was just continuous all year long. And you had to try to be a student Mm -hmm. and, you know, go to class and get enough sleep and, you know, figure out how to eat and all of that. Um, you know, being a cross country and track athlete is difficult because there are three different seasons Mm -hmm. and it's hard, but, um, loves it. Do you remember what kind of times you were running in track? Yeah, um, my 3K was 9.07. Mm-hmm. Oh. And my 10K was 33, like 12. Wow. Um, um, my 1500, I think it was more like 4, you know, 23. You know, I wasn't the best 1500 meter runner. Mm-hmm. I think the longer distance, you know, even back then I, I did better. And, right. and so the... I was um, all American in the 10K and all American in the 3K, and both were run in Texas in June in the middle, you know, in the middle of the afternoon. And so, uh, very strategic. But um, you know, it's like I I didn't even think about what you know, like because it was so new because running for me was just based on pure love and enjoyment and teammates and making, you know, being proud to wear the, you know, the block M for Michigan. Mm. It really didn't sink in Mm. about becoming a professional runner until, you know, my senior year. And when I almost qualified for the Olympics, I'm like, wow. So I asked my parents, I said, listen, I, there's something here. I just have to explore. Mm. Can you give me a year before I like settle down and get a real job? And they're like, but they're like, well, we can't support you. You Mm. have to self fund. Mm. And so I'm like, okay, I get it. So like, like two weeks later, I ran a 10 K and I won a thousand dollars. Wow. Wow. And back then a thousand dollars is, you know, that was a lot of money. Yeah. Yeah. Of course. I'm like, okay, I can pay my rent and I can, you know, maybe even get a car Mm -hmm. and I can feed myself for at least a month. Mm -hmm. (laughs) (laughs) Good start. Yeah. And so, so then I'm like, okay, so then I started like looking for races Mm -hmm. that, you know, I could run to, to self fund Mm -hmm. and, you know, stay in the sport. And, and then, you know, it's like things got 
really, you know, things started rolling. I signed a contract with Saucony Mm. and then I ran the Boston marathon and I won. Right. And that was, you know, financially, uh, amazing for me. Right. right. Yeah. So a lot of different questions, but so you're a thousand questions actually. So you were sponsored by Saucony. Yes. What was that like? Was was that a full full sponsorship? And you know, most runners would obviously love it to be sponsored. I mean, amazing accomplishment, amazing thing. So, what yeah. does it what does it mean to be sponsored? And what what do you? Well, get? back then, there's there's today's world and there's the back then world. Mm-hmm. And I'll explain my my first contract, and then I'll explain kind of what's happening in today's world. But back then, Saucony agreed to pay me ten thousand dollars a year. And in that contract, I, which there were people making a whole lot more money, but because I was fresh out of college, I had them write in um, bonus clauses, a bonus, you know, a big bonus if I won Boston, a big bonus if I, you know, set an American record, a bonus if I, you know, so there were, there were bonuses based on performance standards. So you asked them to do that? Yes, because I because I knew of other athletes doing it, mm-hmm. okay. and so I, I I negotiated my own contract because I didn't know anything about having an agent. Mm-hmm. I mean, I'm just literally out of college, mm-hmm. and Saucony came to me and said, you know, we'll sponsor you, mm-hmm. and I'm like, okay, <laughs> and they're like, oh, you got to get you got to do this, this, and this. Pause of fifteen thousand dollars if I won Boston. if I set an American record Mm. and then the $10,000 of base salary and all the equipment that I needed. Mm. So that year I set three American records and I won Boston Wow! and then they fired me. (laughs) Of course. Right. (laughs) Because I made too much money. They never dreamed that I would perform. Wow. And so they just put those claws in there, probably not even (laughs) thinking. And I'm like, seriously wow that's amazing fire me (laughs) so So then i then i then i um signed a contract with adidas can i stop you for a second yeah so you set three american records wow so what american records do you set um the 30 kilometer Mm -hmm. the five mile Mm -hmm. and the 8k wow eight kilometer okay so the and then Later on in my career, I sent the, the American record in the 10 mile and the 15 kilometer. Okay. Okay. Wow. So, but that was a different contract. So then I signed with Adidas and they paid me um, what I felt I, my value was. And so it was a very good relationship. And I was with them for several years. And then I won Chicago mm-hmm. and New Balance came and said, well, we want you. Mm-hmm. And whatever Adidas is paying we will add X number of dollars to that. Wow. So then I went back and gave Adidas the first right of refusal. I said, listen, here's, this is what's going on. I'm not, you know, I'm being very transparent. I love Adidas. I was very happy with them. Mm. And they're like, well, we can't match that. Mm. So I'm like, okay. Mm. So then I, then I was with New Balance for 11 years Mm. and ended up retiring, you know, from the sport, having still maintained that contract with New Balance. And, Mm -hmm. um, and so those were my three contracts. And, you know, sometimes they negotiate a four-year contract to kind of get you through the Olympics. Sometimes it's year to year. Mm-hmm. Um, and in today's world, the contracts are huge. Mm-hmm. So 
and I think it's public knowledge, you know, like um, certain athletes are getting, you know, a million plus dollars mm-hmm. a year, a year. Wow. Um, yeah. Certain athletes are getting, you know, a hundred thousand dollars a year. And, you know, certain athletes are, you know, are somewhere in between, but the, but the starting point is, for a kid right out of college, it really depends on how many NCAA championships you won. Mm-hmm. Um, are you close to making the Olympic team? And mm-hmm. so there, the, the top end is very high and the low end, the kid, they struggle. Mm-hmm. And so there's so many athletes out there struggling to try to, you know, compete on the world level when they don't have the funding from the, you know, from the, the shoe companies and whatnot. So it's hard. I mean, there's a lot of athletes who, if they had just the backing, could, you know, do remarkable things. And, but, you know, it's a, a lot of it also is based on your social media presence. You know, right. how many followers do you have? Mm-hmm. None of that existed. So, you know, sponsors now are looking at the whole, whole persona. You know, do you have a lot of Instagram followers? Do you, you know, have the performance standards? Do you, um, you know, have potential? Are you, are you attractive? I mean, there's so many factors, unfortunately, um, that, and then what event do you run? Mm -hmm. And so there are certain events that are much more popular than others. You know, unfortunately, like, you know, discus throwers are not getting a lot of funding Mm -hmm. and compared to a 1500 meter runner. So, you know, there's so it's, it's, it's a doggy dog world and it's hard um, to navigate it. And so, but the highs are high and the lows are lower. So the athletes who are really good in certain events are getting a lot more funding Mm. than those who just, you know, right out of college. Right. Let's back up a little bit too. So you ran the marathon to qualify for the, for the 1984 grandma's marathon. Grandma's marathon. Yep. And what was your time for that? Uh, 235. Wow. That was your first marathon. First marathon. That's yeah. A- and oh my God, I had the worst listeners. Good grief. Yeah. Um, yeah. I don't know how I did that, mm-hmm. but, um, yeah, it was fun. It was just like, wow, that was amazing. And mm-hmm. this is like before sports drinks. I mean, there were, there weren't gels, there weren't, mm-hmm. you know, right, Gatorade right. bottles, you know, you just had to drink water. Right, and right. Every, every now and then you'd see a little kid have a lemonade stand or something, <laughs> grab one of their lemonades and just right. plow it down. And right. it was different. It was, it was just so, you know, um, I don't know, genuine. I, I can't find the word for it, but um, it was fun. I loved it. I loved being in that, growing up in the sport in that era. Right, right. It was just a little simpler Mm-hmm. you know, a little lot more authentic. Mm-hmm. Um, now there's, there's so many, um, gadgets mm-hmm. that come in, in drugs. Yeah. Right. Right. The sport. Let's, yeah. Yeah. Let's go back to the 84, 84, 84 Olympic trials. So it was the first women's marathon trials ever. That was the only choice you had, what, 1500 or, or marathon, yeah. right? Yeah. Oh, there are three K. Oh, there's 3K then, okay, right. The 3K, they added the 3K along with the um, marathon, and they eventually got rid of the 3K and just, like, so the men had the 5K, the women had the 3K, you know, again, because they thought body parts were going to fall out. (laughs) 
And so they eventually equalized it and said, the women will run 5K and the men will run 5K. Everything is the same now. Mm-hmm. Um, they, added, they even added, you know, women's pole vault and women's steeple. Mm-hmm. So in the Olympic track and field games right now, everything's the same. Right, right. Except for the hurdle height. <laughs> right, right. So what are your other memories of the uh, 84 Olympic trials? I mean, please tell me about that race, how the race went. Yeah. Um, so it was in Olympia, Washington. Mm-hmm. And they they flew us all in. Everyone got to run. And they put us in. There's a small college there, like St. Mary's or something. And we stayed in dorm rooms. Mm-hmm. And it was so sweet. Um, I, I think, I know Joni stayed in a hotel, but you know, she's <laughs> Joni. Um, but kids from the local schools literally embroidered our pillowcases with our name on it mm-hmm. and with a, with a phrase. And they, they hand-stitched like Lisa, you know, it was like so cool. Mm-hmm. And I still have that pillowcase, by the way. Um, <laughs> Yeah, and so it, they just made it, it was a community event. Mm-hmm. Everyone came out. Right. The, the the course was just amazing. It was it was, you know, in the it's beautiful in Washington, as you know, and just mm-hmm. it's like all the trees and the greenery. It was in May. It was just so special and the support. And I remember, you know, just running along and there'd be somebody from my life there just watching, mm-hmm. an old swim coach. Mm-hmm. One of the assistant swim coaches was there, and I'm like, Oh, like, what's <laughs> I wanted to, you know, stay and stop and chat, but you know, it's just, just an amazingly mm-hmm. um, beautiful day for women's sport. Mm-hmm. Were you, what place were you in as the race went on? Did you? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I was in third place with a half a mile to go. Oh, ouch. <laughs> and so. then, you know, again, I am five foot 10, mm-hmm. 130 some pounds back then. Mm-hmm. And there's no Gatorade. There's no sports drink. There's no nutrition on the course. And I just had nothing left. Mm. If I could go back and fuel my Mm. marathons differently, Mm. I would love to have seen what I could have done. Right, right. You know, just knowing, you know, that I need X number of, you know, carbs and glycogen and sugar throughout the race itself. Um, We had water tables but you know there wasn't tables for fuel right, right. and no gels no nothing and right. so oh my god it was just so hard and that last half mile was like running in molasses wow. and you know i i it was hard it was hard right. and and it kept getting harder <laughs> right. uh so in another interview with Gary Cohen or Gary Cohen does it yeah Right. Yeah. In his interview, you mentioned the second place, the second place uh, person in Olympic trials. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Didn't pass the drug test. Yeah, mm-hmm. can you talk about that a little bit, or how did you find out about that, or how did that? Um, I found out from USADA officials at USADA, huh. and um, but they can't go back and do anything about it because there wasn't a protocol in place at the time that said, you will be disqualified if you fail the drug test. Really, really? You will not be able to go to the Olympic Games if you fail the drug test. Mm-hmm. And there were 13 women in the Olympic trials of track and field mm-hmm. and this runner in the marathon who failed the test. Right. And they still ran. So how do they, I mean, how do they come to you? Just was it a, a side conversation or do they come? To it you? was, 
yeah, it was a side conversation. It was all during when Lance Armstrong was going down and I was with an official, um, at, from USADA who actually kind of like started the whole thing right. and he, he shared with me and many years later though right this is many years later really really well but I knew it so we're in we're in drug testing we're in a trailer right mm-hmm. everybody does their thing but this runner is like mysteriously sitting there not doing anything uh-huh. and you know we left and she's still in there mm. and I don't know if there was things that were exchanged or conversations that were made, but it was just, why wouldn't she get out, do her thing and go to the awards banquet? Mm-hmm. Right. And I just, at the time in retrospect, I'm thinking, wow, that's really, maybe she can't pee, you know, <laughs> maybe right. she just doesn't have enough urine because you have to produce 90 milliliters. And, uh, and so, um, and then she never ran again. I know. Right. She, I, I know. Right. She, she, appears, she, right? was disastrous in the Olympics. I'm thinking, Oh my God, mm-hmm. you know, and then I go and win Chicago. So, and run, you know, 20 minutes faster than she ran. And mm-hmm. um, I'm thinking, you know, I, I, I wanted to be bitter, but I always felt I had another chance. Mm-hmm. That's, that's what kept me going. Mm-hmm. You know, for every disappointment, I would cry in the shower and I'd come out and say, you know what? I am the luckiest girl in the world. I get to do what I love. I'm making a boatload of money. I have wonderful people in my life and I'm healthy as can be. And so I always like really focused on, okay, what's next. Mm-hmm. And, and so, you know, that was, that was how I kind of got through 16 years. <laughs> right. right. That, yeah. Um, so after 84, 85, you were in Boston marathon. Yeah. Can you talk about that experience a little bit? That was awesome. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it's just great because my dad got to come and sit in the stands and mm-hmm. my mom and they were there to, you know, to celebrate. And, you know, Boston is just, you know, has history and just all of the excitement. It's the World Series of, of running. You know, it's the, you know, it's the Super Bowl. Mm-hmm. It's, it's, it's the pinnacle of, of, you know, marathoning. And so to be a part of that, um, and to have it have it always part of my legacy mm. is something very, very special to me. And yeah. I don't I'm not gonna let anybody diminish it. I'm not gonna let anybody try to to bring it down. Mm. But you know, it it was something that in my life that I'm very proud of. Yeah, of course. It's amazing. Can you talk about people you met along the way? You know, obviously, you know, for example, Bill Rogers or those those people, anybody yeah. who's impressive to you or interesting to you? Oh, hands down, Joan Benoit Sanderson. Right. Okay. Good. Yeah, Joni. Joni and I are friends, and you know, mm-hmm. we reach out to each other and and support each other, and mm-hmm. you know, we we think each of us are a little bit crazy, you know, because <laughs> we we're still heavily involved in the sport, mm-hmm. one way or the other. Mm-hmm. We both cannot step away from it. Right. right. And um, she still competes, and I coach. Mm-hmm. So, right. um, Joni Joni is is someone that I I hold in you know, very high regard. And mm. there's, there are many women that I have befriended like Anne Audane, you know, she's amazing. You know, she's got a great strong uh, opinion and voice for women's sport. And so Anne Audane and I are very, still very close in this. Um, and whether you like it or not, I like Frank Shorter. I <laughs> think, Frank, I think Frank moved our sport in the right direction. You know, he found, helped fund the, um, you know, the 
USADA and World Anti-Doping Agency and, you know, with his own accolades. And, and you know, some people think this or that about him, but, you know, Frank and I get along great. Oh, good. Yeah, he's an amazing man, for sure, of course. <laughs> what happened between Boston and the next, um, between 88, so before the next trials, you raced a lot, obviously. Yeah, I raced, um, you know, would run, there, there was a, like a race circuit. Right, right. There was the Cascade runoff down in Portland. That right. was huge. Right. Um, Cascade was the first race in, you know, running history that openly athletes accepted prize money. Mm -hmm. And, you know, Anne Aldane was a part of that. Mm -hmm. And John Sinclair and Greg Meyer. And these are all runners that stood up on the stadium and said, I am going to get paid openly instead of taking uh, money under the table. Mm -hmm. and, and so they lost their amateur status and they were banned from the sport. Mm -hmm. But because they collectively did it, and these are like the best runners in the world, mm -hmm. these countries are like, whoa, whoa, whoa wait a minute. <laughs> Does this mean they're not going to be able to compete in the Olympics? Mm -hmm. And, you know, it was the Athletics Congress back then instead of USA Track and Field. Right. And they said, yes, you know, they're all banned. And, you know, they just tried to take this hard stance. And then the attorneys got involved, Frank got involved. Mm -hmm. And they came up with a solution that said, okay, we're going to let you win prize money, mm -hmm. but it has to be put into a trust fund. Mm -hmm. And then you can request money from the trust fund to pay for groceries, to pay for travel to races. And so, you know, they were big brothering us mm -hmm. and it just became like a full-time job. And I mean, for USATF, it was very cumbersome. Mm -hmm. And they, they finally realized that I think they just threw up their hands and said, oh hell, we're just going to let you take your money. <laughs> and, and off we went. And wow. so, um, so the running circuit is what I did for a couple of years. Um, I ran the world championship. Um, back then it was, it was a 15 kilometer now it's, it's half marathon. Mm -hmm. So I you know, went to Monte Carlo and ran, you know, the worlds and, and um, would just run races. I'd run Chicago. I would run marathons in Hawaii. I would go to Japan mm. and, um, you know, just did this circuit. There was a Bobby Krim 10 miler in, in Michigan that I always ran. The Falmouth Road Race in, on Cape Cod, I always ran. And so there's like all these fun races around the country that offered prize money. And it just became known as the circuit. Mm. So where was your career in, in relation to when people could go pro i mean were you in the middle beginning of that right it was beginning totally what year yeah. did it start 82 82 so that was actually your beginning of your career right yeah right yeah. right so you were there with the shift from paying into a trust fund to getting it directly yeah so so no so the first couple of my years they you had to take money under the table Oh, really? Awesome. And then, then early on is when I set up the trust fund. So I did have a trust fund with USA track and field. Right. Right. And it was so frustrating because of course there wasn't email. Mm -hmm. Right. Right. <laughs> you'd, you'd have to try to call them and they'd say, well, we need it in a letter. We need it in writing. So snail mail, I'd write a letter <laughs> saying I need X number of dollars for my trust fund so I can fly to Florida to run a race or I can, buy groceries mm -hmm. and so it was just so like oh for god's sake you know right, just right. give me my money right. and so finally finally that's what they did they gave up <laughs> yep they gave up we yeah, won down. of course <laughs> could you talk about your training during that period like how or well, actually your whole life how your training has evolved or what things you thought were important yeah um i worked with 
Ron Warhurst first. And then because he was still coaching at Michigan, it just became, I need, you know, he needed to focus on the team and I needed a little bit more. So I hired um, a gentleman named Fred Moore Mm. and Fred lived in Phoenix Mm. and he and I just worked together pretty much my entire professional career. And um, we came up with a design that worked best for me. And it was a nine day cycle. Mm. A lot of, a lot of athletes, you know, they run on a seven day calendar and, and they, that's what they do, but it didn't work for me Mm -hmm. because I wasn't, because I liked to do my long runs hard. Mm -hmm. And if I did my long run hard, I couldn't come back a day Mm -hmm. later and do another quality tempo Bartlett Hill track or whatever. So we, so we extended it out and created a nine day cycle of hard Mm -hmm. recovery moderate Mm. hard recovery moderate hard recovery moderate and in those nine days we had you know a couple days were double days you know you run twice a day one day was a really long day one day was a tempo day another day was interval day and then you know then then we had the moderate days which were steady states and then the recovery days were like you know six miles easy in the morning eight miles easy in the afternoon and so it was just this cycle that we layered one nine day on top of another on top of another and we did that for 16 weeks Mm. in preparation for a marathon right right could you estimate the weekly mileage yeah i was low um 85 to 90 was my you know 90 was my top end Mm. and again i'm 510 Mm. and you know i'm scandinavian i'm not you know Mm -hmm. i'm not I mean, I'm big boned. I'm like, you know, 130 pounds. And, mm. you know, the women I'm competing against, you know, five to 98 pounds. Right. And so, mm-hmm. you know, 30 plus pounds more. And when you do that over and over again, you know, there's the, the chance of breaking down and getting injury. I only had one, one injury that was problematic and that was plantar fascia in my left foot. Mm. Everything else just kind of, I might have had a something sore for three weeks or so, but nothing that required months of rehab or time off. How long, so, how long did the plantar fasciitis last? It was about four unfortunate months. <laughs> and I explained that is it was right before the 88 Olympic trials. Mm-hmm. Right. So, no, excuse me. Was it 88 or was it 92? It was 92, okay. 92. It was 1992, that Olympic trials. Mm-hmm. 88, I ran a PR. There were just three, three women. There's nothing I did wrong in 88. Right. There were just three people faster. Right, right, okay? right. 92, I should have won. Mm-hmm. I really, I was, I was at the peak of my career. Right. I was doing great. And I got, you know, I was running and I got plantar fascia. So... Mm-hmm. They had awarded the Olympic trials to Long Beach, California mm. in, in May. <laughs> mm-hmm. okay? So they were supposed to be in May. Mm-hmm. I got plantar fascia. And um, so I decided to mm. take the month of September. Mm. I'm going to take the whole month of September. I'm going to cross train. I'm going to get this baby fixed. Right, right. I got a shot of cortisone. I'm, I'm swimming. I'm on, you know, I'm just preparing myself for the push, knowing that the trials are in May. Mm-hmm. Right. October 1st, mm. USA Track and Field announced that they're taking it away from Long Beach and putting it in Houston, 
January 6th. Uh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I just lost three months of training. Right, right, right. Oh. No, four months, January, mm-hmm. February, March, April. Mm-hmm. I lost those four months, which I had banked on. Mm-hmm. So now I took September off. I didn't want to stop. Mm-hmm. My, my planner was almost done. It was almost, almost completely healed. Mm-hmm. October 1st, I get the announcement mm-hmm. that I have two months before the trial. Mm-hmm. Three months. And now I'm like, holy crapola. Right, right. So, so I go out the door like two days later. I'm like, well, I got to train on this. Mm-hmm. I got to I got to get the mileage in. I've got to do. And mm-hmm. I go out for a 90 minute run. And about 10 minutes in my entire fascia whoop, just oh. ripped. Oh, my God. And it was searing pain mm-hmm. for like, I don't know, 30 minutes. Mm-hmm. I got ice on it, hobbled back. And then it was like, holy cow, it doesn't hurt anymore. <laughs> I literally severed it from the bone spur. Wow, my God. And so you, you could kind of see where it was, it had curled up a little bit, but I but because it was not pulling on the attachment anymore, mm-hmm. I I didn't really feel it. So then I was able to train and I almost got myself fit enough to make the team. And I and I got fourth again. I got freaking fourth again. Oh. <laughs> It's amazing. You trained, you trained without a fascia, without that, with a disconnected uh-huh. fascia. Yeah. Now I haven't had an MRI since, but my feeling is that it was just a partial tear. The, okay. the, the part that was on the, the bone spur in the middle of your heel, mm-hmm. just, re, it just released. I did a fasciectomy, a self-personal fasciectomy. <laughs> wow. Yeah. Yeah. And now they go in and do that on purpose electronically right, right. With, with laser they'll do a fasciectomy and laserly detach it mm-hmm. well i did it because i was oh. pissed off and oh. went out tried to run hard on it <laughs> amazing um i'm gonna get back to your training a tiny bit so you talk about your long runs like your long hard runs so yeah. what what's the long run for you what how far is the long run and like- yeah i would i would run typically run 22 or 23 miles and it oh. 23 was exactly around Lake Sammamish. Really? Okay. I'd go all the way. I'd start, you know, by, you know, Lake Sammamish State Park is kind of where I lived. Mm. And then I'd go all the way around through Redmond, through Woodenville, and come back all the way around on the other side. Mm. There, there was on the, on the, um, let's see, what side is that? On the east side, or I think that's east, there was a, like a bike lane, like mm. a big, like a big, um, side area mm-hmm. and so but on the other side it was an old railroad truss that had been paved right and so it was really cool so I, it was 23 miles around exactly and that's that was my long run every mm-hmm. nine days every nine days You'd run and that. i would do them my pace you know i used it as a heart day so i would get down to low six like 605 610 mm-hmm. that was my pace for my heart days right um there were periods where if I had taken time off or if it wasn't marathon period, I would do them a little bit slower, but mm-hmm. they were still nothing slower than 630 ever. I would be like offended. <laughs> slower than 630. I'm like, what's wrong with me? <laughs> so I use my long runs as a hard day. And mm-hmm. a lot of people don't, but it's what's best for you. Yeah, you yeah. know, if you, if you want to do long, slow distance and, you know, that's fine. Mm-hmm. But with me, the longer I was out there, the more chance I would get of being injured. Mm-hmm. So did you do this by yourself? I um, did them solo. Oh, really? Well. Uh, 
I trained by myself pretty much my entire professional career. Really? Wow. I would have girlfriends that lived in Seattle, like Lisa Noblick and Gail, Gail Kingma. Mm -hmm. And there were girlfriends in the area that I'm like, Hey, let's go do this. You know, we would kind of like, you know, call actually, you know, mm -hmm. use a phone, <laughs> call each other mm -hmm. and meet at, you know, some location. And then there was, there were some fellas that I trained with as well mm -hmm. that, you know, were good and, and pushed me. So, mm -hmm. right, right. Yeah. Could we uh, go back in time a little bit to the 1988 trials marathon? You said you got fourth place there in Pittsburgh. Yeah. And so you said the three who beat you were really good. You said you. They just were better. I, I did nothing wrong. I ran a PR. I ran like a, you know, I ran 231 at the time was my PR, but it was my best performance. And, you know, I just got beat and that is so much better, easier to accept because right. I respected the women, um, Margaret Gruse, Nancy Kahn's, and, um, she was young. She made it in 84. Kathy no, O'Brien. Yeah. She was fifth in 84. Kathy O'Brien, those three women made the Olympic team. Right. right. And they, were, they were really good. So, um, 88 was probably the one, Olympic trials that I, I dealt with the best mm -hmm. because I didn't think I did anything wrong and I didn't think anyone else did something mm -hmm. to prevent me from making the team. Right, right. So, you know, in 84, I think someone did something to prevent me from making the team. And mm -hmm. in 92, when they, when USA track and field moved the trials, you mm -hmm. know, so mm -hmm. late in the game that really, that really messed me up. But, um, again, my 16 year journey of, of the Olympic birth was filled with a lot of great memories and friends and opportunities. I traveled the world. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm this kid of a, you know, a daughter of an immigrant, mm -hmm. and I, you know, I made $3 million in prize money. Oh, that's amazing. That's and I mean, like, where does that happen? You yeah, know, definitely. And, and I still get to be in this sport. So mm -hmm. Right, right. So in 1988, you won Chicago for the first time instead of PR, I believe, right? I did. 228. Is that right? Uh, 88 was 229 and 89 was 228. Okay. So could you talk about Chicago a little bit, how those races went and what you yeah. remember about them? Yeah. Um, you know, I always, you know, the fall marathons, you know, you had your choices and you know, people always ask me, why didn't you run New York? And I'm like, because Chicago took good care of me. They, mm. they, they brought me in and they mm. paid a great appearance fee and, mm -hmm. and it was close. My parents could drive. My sister lives in Chicago. And so I, I just felt the Midwest connection mm. was, you know, something that I really enjoyed. And, um, 1989, I, I was really fit and I, you know, just ran a great race and it all, it all played out. It all came together and, um, it was very, very special. And then in 1989, I was brought back mm. as, you know, the reigning champion. Mm -hmm. And so this is another story. This is Chicago. Do we have time? Sure. Have plenty of time. Okay. Chicago 89 was people ask me, what's your best performance? What's your best race? What do you feel is the most memorable And Chicago 1989 is definitely hands down my most memorable race because I came into it with a lot of uncertainty. Um, mm. wearing race number one, <laughs> um, and it was the year after the Olympics. So everybody came to cash in. 
Mm-hmm. So all the world, you know, best that got to go to the Olympics in 88, they were there because they, mm-hmm. you know, they were trying to make some money mm-hmm. and I woke up that morning to a, a female visitor <laughs> that comes monthly. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, oh, great. And here I am in a white New Balance kit, mm-hmm. white shorts, white singlet. And lo and behold, I'm like, oh, great. So there's one layer of worry there. There's the worry of all these famous women running. The worry of me wearing race number one. And, you know, just put a bullet on me. You know, I'm a target. So, you know, I'm, and it's freaking hot for a marathon. It was so warm. And so, you know, I just remember lining up. I'm going, okay, whatever happens, just don't, don't have, any excuses at the finish line. That was kind of like my mantra, no excuses. Mm-hmm. You get what you get, just put it all together. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, I just had a lot of positive self-talk. Um, some guy who I found out worked for Oakley handed me a pair of sunglasses and said, hey, wear these. These are so cool. I put them on and I'm like, dude, these are really cool. <laughs> so I wore them and I forgot that I had them on, but it's, the sun is low in the sky in October. Mm-hmm. It's hot, mm-hmm. gun goes off. Women take off crazy fast. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, holy cow. I get to the five mile mark. My coach is there. And he's like, you're 50 seconds down. I'm like, I'm 50, 50, five, zero seconds behind the leaders at five miles. Mm-hmm. And I look at my watch and I'm like, I'm on PR pace. <laughs> right. I'm, I'm running fast. So they must be just running wicked fast. Mm-hmm. So I let him go. And I'm like, I got to, I got to, I have to trust my training. Mm-hmm. my training is ready for this performance standard. I mm-hmm. felt I was ready for 226. Mm-hmm. And, and so I'm just doing my thing and I'm looking up. And so I'm in fifth place, 50 seconds down and like somewhere between mile five, and mile eight, I pass a woman. So now I'm in fourth. Mm-hmm. Okay. That's so bad. Um, and then I kept saying, okay, make the podium, make the podium. Mm. Don't do anything stupid. Keep drinking water, drink Gatorade, make the podium. And Mm. so I'm just plugging away. And at 10 miles, I'm in fourth. And then by the half marathon, I could see the woman who's in third. And she's from New Zealand and she's wearing a black kit. And I remember saying to myself, she must be really hot (laughs) because her shirt's black, her shorts black. And I don't care if, you know, it is that time of the month and I'm wearing white. I have an advantage because I'm not wearing black. And mm-hmm. so I just play these mental games throughout the race. Mm-hmm. And I, you know, I come through the halfway and I'm like, I'm still running really fast. Mm-hmm. And so I get through half and I'm just focusing. I'm looking down the road. I'm focusing forward. And I, and then all of a sudden I could see like the helicopter. Mm-hmm. And back then the helicopter would hover over the lead male and the lead female. And I'm like, I'm not that far back. Mm-hmm. I really am not. So then I'm finally, I'm like, Woo, I could see the women who are in first and second. Mm. And one of them was Kathy O'Brien. Okay. And um, I'm like, okay, she made the Olympic team. <laughs> it's payback time. <laughs> <laughs> so so I, at mile 16, we come around a corner. There's a water stop. I grab my water bottle. I take a, several swigs. I throw my bottle down and I surge. Mm. And she didn't go with me. Mm. And I'm like, huh. I'm now in the lead. I'm winning this race. Mm. And and then I then then the reality sits in like, oh, wait a minute, I'm winning. Mm. I'm leading. Mm. 
What did I do? Did I go too soon? But I had never changed my pace. I was on the same pace. Mm -hmm. And what was happening was, is they went out really fast coming back to me. They're dying. They were dying. Yeah, yeah. And so I went on to win by two minutes. Wow. I was, I was a, a minute and 50 seconds down at 10 miles of the leaders and I won by two minutes. So that's, a, that's an almost a four minutes shift. Right. Right. And yeah. So for anybody listening to this, a marathon is a long way. <laughs> you, you don't win the marathon in the first mile, five miles, you lose the marathon in the first five miles. Right, right, and right. so for me, I walked away with that and mm-hmm. just, I can replay that. I can replay it in my mind. And you know, just the last 200 meters as you come down the long straightaway and it's lined with flags and, mm-hmm. you know, spectators and, mm-hmm. you know, just, you know, just, oh my gosh, it was so amazing. And, and for me, that was my Olympic moment. You know? That's amazing. Definitely. That's great. So you talked about your mindset a little bit. Can you talk about how you are mentally as a racer? I mean, obviously you seem very aggressive as a, as a racer. I mean, like going after somebody <laughs> or, or, you know, whatever, whatever mental techniques you have what what kind of mental racer are you yeah um i'm really aggressive Mm -hmm. i i i took no friends when the gun go when the gun went off nobody was a friend Mm -hmm. and i you know if i i remember i was in a the fry hoppers i think it was 10k u.s championships Mm -hmm. And this car pulled out right on the course. I mean, there's, there's at this point, there's four women. I, I still can remember who it was. Mm-hmm. We're running down the, the this long straightaway in Albany, New York. And this this poor gentleman, he was an elderly driver. He had no idea there was a race going on. Oh. And he plowed right, he backed out right in front of us. Mm-hmm. And I just hit the car. <laughs> threw, I threw out some F-bombs and expletives and I hit the car and, we, we, and all of us, we were fine. We weren't hurt. Mm. But afterwards, yeah, they all come up to me and are like, Lisa, good <laughs> God, we know now never to mess with you. And it's like, it's just this, this like, it's like rage. It's like, mm. you know, it's like just this feeling of like, don't get in my way. You know, I don't know, maybe because I had two older sisters you know, and I was always fighting for myself to, you know, be heard, but I was a very aggressive racer. And, um, when the gun went off and when, when we crossed the finish line, it was like, Hey, where are we going to get a beer? Mm -hmm. You know, it's like, we were friends again. And so, and I think that's the way it should be. I think, you know, we have, we have a job to do. And, um, I think the women who did, who did, you know, like Anna Dane, she's just like me. It's like, (laughs) get out of my way. You know, it's race day. It's race day. So, um, you have to be that way. Right. You have to be a fighter. You can't, it's, and it's okay. Mm-hmm. You don't have to be like demure and feminine and, mm-hmm. you know, proper because mm-hmm. I'm sure you're not saying that same, you know, request of football players or male <laughs> athletes, you know, it's like, we call it, you know, you gotta, you gotta race with ugly face. You mm-hmm. gotta get gritty. You gotta get in there and not worry about anything, um, other than getting your job done. So do you think you can keep that? Like through a marathon is a long time, obviously. Can you keep that that mental energy? Like, are you calm during the race? Are you angry during the race? How do you? What are you thinking? Yeah, very calm. Really? You know, for me, it was an inner calm, but it was also a don't mess with me. Mm-hmm. Okay. Okay. And it, and I translate as that is to a confidence. Mm-hmm. Right. So um, you have to be calm. 
mm-hmm. because it's all about conservation of energy. Mm-hmm. Of you know, it's a long way. And mm-hmm. even back then when they didn't have the fueling sources mm-hmm. provided on the race course, um, it, you had to be very mindful of not expending too much energy, especially knowing how to read a course on the uphills, on the downhills, mm-hmm. you know, how do you let your heart rate get? Do you maintain? Mm-hmm. And, um, and so there are races like Boston, when you come through Wellesley, Mm. I had to be really careful because it's so exciting. They're screaming and they're high-fiving and you want to sprint through there to show them what a great runner you are, but yet you have to be like, whoa, whoa, you know, careful. Right. So you kind of mentioned it, but do you think that uh, aggressiveness is innate? Do you think you were born with it or do you think it's something you developed because of your family situation? Or I think it was environmental Mm -hmm. for me. It right. was environmental because my sisters are, are so nice and sweet. <laughs> and yeah. I'm not, I'm not, but you know, it's like, I had to fight for everything, mm-hmm. you know? And I even tell my kids, I was hungry. Mm. You know, I, there were times where I'm like, I'm in a store going, do I buy this or do I buy that? You know, mm. I'm looking at how much money I had and and I was hungry. And so I had to learn to fight and to be, you know, kind of in a, in a good way. I thought I did, you know, I don't think I angered too many people, but um, it was just this inner drive, this right. inner fire that I had. In reading about you, you ran many international races, you raced in Japan a lot, right? So can you talk yeah. about your experiences in Japan? How are you, how are you treated? And um, yeah, yeah. Funny story how I got invited. Mm-hmm. So um, Liz McColgan was mm-hmm. supposed to go. Mm-hmm. Eilish, her daughter right now, is running fabulously, yeah, by the way. Yeah, just, yeah. just broke, you know, the British records. Mm-hmm. So Liz, Liz's agent um, called me and said, she can't go. It's a last minute thing. Mm-hmm. Like, he goes, would you go? Here's, here's what we'll pay you. I'm like, heck yeah. <laughs> Sign me up. I'm like, okay, I'm going. Yeah. So I went to Sapporo, Japan, mm-hmm. and I was a New Balance runner, mm-hmm. and um, I ran the half marathon and um, ended up winning. Mm-hmm. And so they, they t- the Japanese, running is like a religion. Japanese, it's so revered, it's so mm-hmm. respected, and they're so civil and mm-hmm. so kind, and, and they put on amazing events. They have 2 million spectators and 200 runners. Mm-hmm. Right. So unlike here, we have, you know, thousands of runners and five spectators. <laughs> so um, it's, it's totally the reverse. So mm-hmm. I run in this race, I win it, and unbeknownst to me, New Balance Japan was having their annual meetings in Sapporo. Mm-hmm. They flip on the TV, and here I'm wearing New Balance, and I end up winning. Uh-huh. Nice. So they, they, they come to the hotel and they ask if they could give, you know, meet me for tea. Mm-hmm. You know, right. I'm like, sure, I'd rather have a Sapporo beer, but tea is fine. <laughs> right. So I meet with them. And, you know, during this discussions, I met a gentleman who was my interpreter. His name was Shinichi. Mm-hmm. And Shinichi says, well, they want to come to America and do a commercial with you. Wow. wow. I'm like, this <laughs> sure. is on the spot. I'm like, right. sure. I live in Seattle. So <laughs> I signed a multi-year contract with New Balance Japan. And mm-hmm. they would do commercials and and I finally asked Shinichi, I said, why, why, why me? Mm-hmm. And they go, because you're tall mm-hmm. and you're blonde <laughs> and you represent hope. Oh, really? you know? 
So for women, because back then the Japanese women were still pretty much subservient to sport right, right. and limited. And, and so, you know, for year after year, I would go and race in Japan and had met, you know, I had some pretty good outcomes in my races there. And, mm-hmm. you know, sometimes it didn't go so well, but you know, that's, that's how it always is. But, um, that one race kind of opened up my door and I have Liz McColgan to thank for that. <laughs> <laughs> so that race was the Hokkaido Half Marathon. Do you remember the name of it? Yes. Okay. Um, um, so actually, the Sapporo Half Marathon, and I ran the Hokkaido Marathon, mm. and then I ran the um, uh, uh, what, Half Marathon in... Oh, I know. Kyoto. Kyoto. Right. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Yep. Okay. Oh, very cool. Um, you see, you told a funny story on, on Gary's um, website about the plane. Ah, <laughs> oh, geez, falling asleep <laughs> on the plane. Right, right. <laughs> Sorry. So, so when I'm coaching um, my little kids, and like after we d- we we start to do like some core work, and we'll do planks where they have to hold a plank. Mm-hmm. And when they, when you're little and you're not that strong, and I'm we're talking like ten year old, eleven year old, twelve year old kids. Mm-hmm. Like, okay, we're going to do a plank, and 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 some kid invariably asked me one day, he goes. What's the most embarrassing thing in your life? I'm like, okay, I got that one. So I'm flying home from Japan mm-hmm. and I'm in first class. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, they they really took care of you. But back then they didn't have these huge, like individual first class seat. It mm-hmm. was just a bigger seat. Mm-hmm. And I fell asleep mm-hmm. and I leave, I must have like teetered over. <laughs> and I wake up and there's this, very handsome older man <laughs> mm-hmm. wearing a beautifully like like lavender very <laughs> beautiful dress shirt mm-hmm. and i'm lying on his shoulder and i have drooled on him mm-hmm. <laughs> oh my gosh. i'm like 24 years old 25 and i'm drooling on this man <laughs> and i said i am so sorry and he goes don't be he goes you know how long it's been since a beautiful woman has drooled on me <laughs> okay so that was one and then i have another one but yeah so i i, I try to um tease tease my kids on um you know funny stories to keep them occupied while they're holding a hard um you know like a plank <laughs> so what's your other funny story um i had to go to the bathroom and i'm on a long run and I think I'm I'm off of, I'm I'm way out near Tiger Road, okay, on a trail. Right, right. Mm. There's nobody. Mm. Hadn't seen nobody in you know an hour. Mm. So you know, Mother Nature does her thing. I do my thing. I'm pulling up my shorts, and out of the I don't know, out of the blue, he must have been in a tree. Um, <laughs> he he yells out, "Nice, <laughs> you know." Right. Donkey. <laughs> <laughs> Where was the donkey? I, like, I didn't run that loop for like months because I was so afraid that person would. You're still waiting. You know, <laughs> he was still waiting for me to, you know, show him my derriere. But yeah, yeah. Okay. So, um, so let, let's talk about when your your career started coming to an end. So you ran the Olympic trials in '92. Uh, after that, you switched to the triathlon eventually, right? How did that work? Yeah. Well, it, it works because um, they added the the triathlon to an Olymp- to the Olympics. It was now an Olympic sport. Right, right. Yeah. Well, now I can swim. Right, it's perfect for you, right? And I can run. So, I I went pro for 
exactly a year. And I went to U.S. Nationals and I got fourth. Imagine that. Right, right. And I'm like, okay, but that, but in my mind, I'm like, but I've only been doing this for a year. I don't even know how to ride a bike. I don't know how to, you know, draft and, mm. and do all that fancy stuff and get out of my wetsuit quickly. And so I thought, oh my gosh, if I'm four, mm-hmm. I have so much upside. Yeah, yeah. So my coach at the time says, we're going to, we're going to work all winter on your, your bike handling skills. And I'm mm. like, got it. Mm-hmm. So I kid you not first ride. He takes me out on to do some, some, mm. some skill work. I crash and dislocate my elbow because wow. I put my arm down. And went, mm-hmm. So I can't swim mm-hmm. and I can't hold a bike handle <laughs> and it really hurt to run. Mm-hmm. And so it's like, ah, uh, and then, you know, it's like six weeks later after I kind of got it all healed up, I started to feel really sick and mm-hmm. lo and behold, I was pregnant. Mm-hmm. So I tell people I, I did work out <laughs> during that time. Exactly. And so it was like, okay, I'm at the end of my career. I, I think if I, you know, I, I really want children. Mm-hmm. I, you know, I cannot miss that. Mm-hmm. Um, so I retired. I, you know, I, I just said, I'm done. Mm-hmm. I want to have children. I want to have a family. And I got pregnant with Katie and, um, and now she's the one in the family training for the Olympics. Yeah, that's amazing. Yeah, um, she is getting there. She's she runs the steeplechase. Okay. She, however, is six foot tall. Okay. And um, very strong. Oh. And so, you know, I think the steeple is very it's very well suited for her. Yeah, yeah, perfect. So then you moved into coaching, basically, right? Yes. Yeah. So one of my teammates, um, Susan Williams, who I was training with to make the Olympic team in the triathlon, mm. she says. She like, as soon as I announced I was pregnant, she's like, great. Will you coach me? Oh, really? Okay. And so running, she was, she was helping me with my cycling and she was a great swimmer. And, Mm -hmm. um, she and I did a lot of training together. And so she said, well, now that you're pregnant, can you help me with my run? Mm -hmm. I really need to improve my run. And so I did. That's how I started coaching. It was Susan Williams. And she went on to win a bronze medal in the Olympics and triathlon. And so, um, yeah. So, I mean, all these people around me are going to the Olympics and doing well. And I'm like, yeah. well, maybe that was my purpose. You yeah, know, maybe exactly. this is my purpose. Right. right. Um, so, and then, you know, I'm like, well, I like this. And so many people would just like, Hey, would you coach me? Would you coach me? Would you coach me? Mm-hmm. So right. I just started my own coaching company. It's called traininggoals.com, which was a coaching adults. And then once Katie and my kids started to get a little bit older, I transitioned to solely coaching youth. I have a, a youth coaching company called Cocopelli Kids. Mm-hmm. It's a Pelli racing team. Right. And, um, you know, we, we run USATF regionals, nationals. We run AAU regionals, nationals. I take these kids all over the country. Mm-hmm. And, um, I mean, this year, two of my kids signed um, to run in, at Stanford. Wow. So, I mean, every year, I've, you know, I've got one kid in Alabama this year, one signed for Iowa State, another signed, three signed for Wyoming, two for Stanford. So yeah. every year, kids who are graduating out of my program and going off to college are going off and doing, you know, amazing yeah. things. Yeah. So, so the National Signing Day, the NLI, when you sign your National Letter of Intent, mm-hmm. um, for me, is just very we celebrate that we have a party the kids come you know we share presents and um you know send these kids off nice you also coach the army marathon team right 
Well, yeah, it was called the WCAP program. Right, right. Uh-huh. Yeah, the Army WCAP Marathon program. And I did that for a couple of years. And, um, but what I found was my heart was really more focused on coaching kids. Right, right, right. Yeah. You know, and because of my own kids. Before, mm-hmm. before my own kids were old enough, and were in sports and wanted to, you know, to participate. I really focused heavily on WCAP. And then I coached for team Semperfi, which is um, triathletes, you know, from, from the Marines. Mm-hmm. But, you know, I just realized, okay, I want to coach kids. Right. 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 How often, how often do you meet with the kids? Um, we meet in person three days a week and then their training schedule. We have an app and we post everything and we individualize everything um, on the app. I have three franchises, one in Northern Colorado, one in Castle Rock and one in Colorado Springs. Um, And so we've expanded. I, you know, I have seven coaches that work for me and Mm -hmm. an administrator and, Mm -hmm. and we put on events. We, we do high altitude training camps in the summer. So we're we're pretty much a one stop shop for Mm -hmm. anything youth related distance, Mm -hmm. middle distance running. That's great. So we talked a little bit at the beginning about current state of racing or state of running with shoes and those kinds of things, drugs a little bit. How do you feel about things as they are now? Do you feel like, we're in a better place than we were when you started or? Um, it's different. Mm-hmm. I wouldn't call it better. Mm-hmm. I think we're in a different place with the performance enhancing drugs. I think we're behind technology. Mm-hmm. Right. I, I think by the time we figure something out, you know, they're on to the next mm-hmm. technology. Right. Right. Um, and as long as the shoes become available to everyone, right. we just have to accept it. Mm-hmm. You know, it's kind of like carbon golf clubs or going from bamboo to aluminum pole vaults, you know, poles. Right. If this is the way of the technology, then we need to keep it affordable. Right, right. We need to keep it accessible. Right, right. And we need to make sure that kids are not getting injured as a result of these shoes, mm-hmm. which is what I'm finding. Oh, really? That's interesting. Oh, yeah. I, 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 my kids who are wearing a stack height of 40, they, they, they're not done growing. They're not done developing. They haven't got the calf strength in this, right. this right. structure to support the wobbliness of this high stack. Mm-hmm. And these kids see what, you know, what you know olympic runners are wearing and they're like oh i gotta get a pair the only way i'm gonna run fast is if i get a pair and then they get injured and so i would really like for these shoe companies to reach out to coaches like myself Mm -hmm. and we need to let them know this is not a great thing for young growing you know runners it's just not right and i and 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 i cringe when they spend three three hundred and fifty dollars for a pair of shoes i agree thinking they're going to shave, you know, seconds off their, you know, cross country time races. Right. Where the road, you know, the courses are so uneven and, you know, they walk away with, gee, coach, I can't figure out why my ankle hurts or gee, coach, I can't figure out why my perineal tendon is swollen. And mm-hmm. <sighs> Yeah, I so, totally, totally agree. Yeah. Yeah, that's, that's sad actually. Um, so anyway, Lisa, thank you so much. Great stories. And <laughs> I know we could talk forever, right? <laughs> I could. Yeah. I got, that was just, but so interesting. So I, I really appreciate it. So um, yeah. 
Thank you so much for your time. And Thanks, John. Thank you again to Lisa for telling me her story. You should check out her website at traininggoals.com. And thank you very much for listening to our podcast. I hope you enjoyed it.